Hey, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Talking Hockey Sense. I'm Chris Peters. This is episode 81 of the podcast, and we are right in the thick of everything. Lots happening right now. The USHL Clark Cup final is underway, the ECHL playoffs, the NHL playoffs, the Men's World Championship, which we're going to talk about today. So much happening. We don't want to waste any time. So we're going to get right into it because we're going to start with the Men's World Championship because it does have an NHL draft angle. And we'll talk about that. We're going to also talk about the USHL Clark Cup final, which has been absolutely spectacular and stunning in a lot of ways. So we'll get to that shortly. But let's start with the Men's World Championship right here on Talking Hockey Sense. And this is an interesting tournament every single year for a lot of reasons. If you're an NHL fan, you're probably too focused on the world uh, or you're too focused on the Stanley Cup playoffs. And understandably so. It's what we all live for. We want playoff hockey. It's great. But if you have time and you're home and you can watch things in the morning and you can just have a TV on in the background, the World Championship is a real nice thing to have because there are NHL draft prospects, there are drafted prospects, and certainly young NHL players that are getting an opportunity to play at some really good high-level games and uh, with and against NHL players, and, and it gives us a chance to kind of assess these players again. So as far as the NHL draft is concerned, we've got two of the top three prospects in the draft it, at the tournament. That's, of course, Adam Fantilli and Leo Carlson. So Fantilli is playing for Team Canada, Carlson playing for Team Sweden. We'll talk about them specifically, but we also want to mention David Reinbacher has been playing for Austria, though he did get injured, um, has not played in the last couple of games, so we'll see if he does return. Um, and, and so that's those, those are the top guys. There's also Oscar Fisker-Mulgaard, who's playing for Denmark as well. So there are NHL draft eligibles that are, are certainly worth watching. And we'll start with, with Carlson and Fantilli, because I think that there is going to continue to be a debate on which of those two players should be the number two overall pick. We talked about it last week about is Adam Fantilli a lock to be the number two pick with the Ducks? We think it's most likely that he will be. We'll reiterate that here. But there's also always the possibility that something different happens. And, and Leo Carlson is an exceptional prospect. And the very important thing that's happening with him at the World Championship is he is playing center. The questions that have been around him is, okay, he played wing most of this year. He's a natural center by training, but you know, he's a young player in a professional league. So the opportunities weren't there. Now he's playing for the Swedish national team, the Trey Kroner, the, the, the pinnacle of Swedish hockey and the world championship is a huge deal there. Now they've got a roster that's largely made up of, of up with guys that played in the SHL. They do have some regular NHLers, guys like Lucas Raymond. They are getting William Nylander very soon for the Toronto Maple Leafs. So that gives Leo Carlson this opportunity, but you would think with so many senior players that he would probably be further down the lineup. That hasn't been the case here at the world championship. In fact, he's played between Lucas Raymond and Alex Nylander. Now, Alex Nylander, William Nylander's younger brother has not really panned out as an NHL player, but he's been a very good AHL player. And when he's played for team Sweden, he's had quite a bit of success, especially at the world junior level. Now he's playing for them. And, and so you've got Leo Carlson with two guys that can absolutely score goals. And they have so far. And Leo Carlson himself has scored a goal. He is one of just a few under 19 players to score for the, I, I think he's the ninth, seventh or ninth, seventh or eighth in the history of the Swedish national team, men's national team, to score a goal at, as an age 18 player. Um, guys that 
played at the same age but did not score goals. Matt Sundin, Daniel Sedin, Henrik Sedin, and Nicholas Backstrom, just to name a few. And so what Leo Carlson has done is very important because he's proven that he can be a center at the NHL or at a, at a professional level. And that is important for his overall projection. Centers are more valuable than wings. A lot of centers can be moved to wing or it, it just, it doesn't happen the other way around. But Leo Carlson is because of his size, because of his hockey sense, there's been a belief that yes, he can be a center. Now he's doing it and proving it. Will that change the dynamic between him and Adam Fantilli? I'm not necessarily certain it does. Certain it does. I think that Fantilli still has some advantages over Carlson, speed being one of them, and that mean streak that he plays with. A lot of teams are that that's going to be very attractive to a lot of teams. But I think Leo Carlson's hockey sense and his ability to dictate pace and, and different things that he's done at this tournament and drive you know drive play a little bit has been good. Now, I would also say that playing with Lucas Raymond, it's easier to look better because Lucas Raymond is an exceptional talent. He's looked very skilled. He's played with pace. He's played with a lot of speed. But I think Leo Carlson has kept up with him, and he's been able to, to hold his own or more than hold his own. And that is another level of intrigue. Now, we're not going to draft players based specifically on one event. That's not how teams do it. They're going to look at the entire body of work. But the more opportunities you see and the more times you see Leo Carlson have success at the center position, the more likely you are to feel more comfortable projecting him as an everyday center going forward. And if that's the case, then that does make it a closer argument between Carlson and Fantilli. There are some people out there that would say the gap between Fantilli and Carlson is bigger than the gap between Bedard and Fantilli. I'm not necessarily sure I agree with that. I think that they're, these two players are pretty close, and I think that there's just, you know, the, the things that they do better are different. I think that Carlson is a little bit of a, a craftier player, has a little bit more cerebral style of his game, plays a little bit more deliberately, whereas there's a little bit of a wildness, but not it's like a controlled chaos situation with Adam Fantilli, he knows what he's doing, he knows what he's trying to do, and he often succeeds in doing it. Now, Fantilli's playing for Team Canada, and at this tournament, that means that he is going to be behind a number of everyday NHL players. And so he's kind of been in the middle of their lineup, but he's slowly kind of moved down a little bit. And it's not an indictment on him. It's just the fact that there are legitimate NHL players that are able to play ahead of him. He's not going to get power play time. He's not going to get a ton of opportunities, but they have given him various opportunities to, to have some success. He's played on the power play a little bit. He has played. Uh, he got to go in the shootout when they, they won their shootout. And, you know, he's played with a variety of line mates and teammates and that's helped. He hasn't taken a ton of faceoffs. He's played a lot more on the wing. At least that's kind of the responsibilities that he's been given. But again, we're not comparing apples and oranges here because of the way that the rosters are structured. So there's a very good chance that Leo Carlson is going to have the better men's world championship. Does that mean he's going to be the better player? Probably not. I mean, Patrick Laine had a better men's world championship than Austin Matthews did, and that didn't really change the way that we felt about them going into the draft. Maybe it did for some people, but not for a lot. And certainly now we've seen that, you know, Austin Matthews remains the top guy, but that was kind of what happened. And so I would say that the the differences between Lucas Carlson and Adam Fantilli aren't so significant, but that does make the world championship a little more important. So if you're watching those players, keep an eye on how they do watch how they progress as the tournament goes on as well, because that, you know, more players can come in from 
teams that got eliminated from the playoffs, they could see themselves move down the lineup. They can move around. So a lot of things can change. But those two guys still have a lot to, to like about what they've done. Before we move on from the Men's World Championship, I did want to focus a little bit on Team USA because they have a number of players that, while not draft eligible, were recently drafted and they have had some success. So looking at Team USA's roster, you've got Lane Hudson from the Montreal Canadiens, uh, drafted, played for Boston University this year. Carter Mazur played for Denver, signed with Detroit, was a, a mid-round draft pick. Matt Coronado, first-round draft pick of the Calgary Flames, played with Harvard last year. Sean Farrell, Montreal Canadiens draft pick, played at Harvard last year, signed. Ronnie Adderd, Philadelphia Flyers prospect, who played uh, a fair amount of NHL games this season. Team USA has did not get a ton of established NHLers. Alex Tuck, arguably the, the biggest star, Connor Garland from, from the Vancouver Canucks. You know, they've they've got some some everyday NHL players. I also forgot to mention Luke Tuck, Alex Tuck's younger brother, and Drew Camesso, who hasn't played yet in the tournament, uh, the draft draft pick of the Chicago Blackhawks. But Team USA made the conscious decision that if they weren't going to get the NHL superstars, um, that they were going to go ahead and, and try to bring in some of these young college players. And so they did that, and these guys have been looking very good so far. Team USA is 4-0 in the tournament as we record this. They are the one of the few teams that have gotten all the possible points they could out of every game, winning each game in regulation. They haven't had a terribly difficult schedule so far, but again, we're seeing these young players. And, and I, I didn't mention the highest draft pick on Team USA, Cutter Gauthier, who I wanted to get into a little bit more in depth anyway, so we're going to separate him out. Cutter Goche, number five overall pick last year, the Philadelphia Flyers. He has been arguably one of Team USA's most consistently threatening forwards. And at 18 years old or 19 years old, that's a great thing to see if you're a Philadelphia Flyers fan. We already knew that Goche had size, strength, athleticism, good speed, a great shot. What he's shown here is that confidence. And I didn't think we saw a very confident Cutter Goche at the World Junior Championship this year. I think we're seeing it now. And I think that's great news for Boston College, where he's going to return to play next season. It's great news for the Philadelphia Flyers. And it's certainly great news for Team USA, both now and at next year's World Junior Championship. Goche is leading Team USA in shots on goal. He has two goals already. And as I mentioned, one of the most consistently threatening players because of his ability to get to the middle, his ability to drive play a little bit, get gain the zone, make plays once he's in the zone. That is, we're, we're seeing this progression. The big question about Cutter Goche last year is, as he transitions to center, how would he do? And they've let him play in the middle a little bit with Team USA, and that's allowed him to have some more success. He's not playing exclusively center. A lot of times you'll see him line up, but he did move up to Team USA's first power play, and that is another great sign. You've got NHL players throughout your lineup, yet you're putting a guy who is playing and will play college hockey next season. So Cutter Goche, brilliant. Lane Hudson, who we're going to get into a little bit more later, but I know if you're a Montreal Canadiens fan, you really want to know about Lane Hudson. And as of right now, he's the second leading scorer on Team USA with four points. I've got three questions on Lane Hudson specifically, so stick around. We will get to those in just a little bit because he is having a sensational start to his men's world championship, scored a beautiful goal today. Can't say enough good things about Lane Hudson, and we'll continue to do that. But I will say... For the U.S., this is not a roster that you look at it and you say, well, this team is certainly competing for a gold medal. But yet, now they're 4-0 in the tournament. Their next 
toughest game, and they're, they're, they're all kind of tough because you're playing against professional players, and the parity in this tournament is a little bit greater than you would think. So say, well, Germany and Denmark and Austria are, aren't going to be that difficult. At the World Championship, a lot can change. The parity is a lot better than you would expect, especially with Russia not involved in the tournament once again. But this is a, this U.S. team has a real opportunity to make some noise in this tournament. Casey DeSmith has been their goaltender. He's been brilliant so far. Cal Peterson, who had a really tough year, got sent down to the minors. He is looking sharp. He had a good game. He's, he hasn't played the toughest opponents, but he's had good games so far. And then you've got all these young guys and, and certainly the more established guys. And then some AHL regulars like TJ Tynan and Rocco Grimaldi who have come in and made a very significant impact on this team. So if you haven't been paying to the world championship yet, I would say check it out because Team USA is doing a really good job of, of keeping everything, uh, you know, everything is possible for them right now. We'll see if they get any other additional players. Uh, they did add Tyler Clevin from the Ottawa Senators, Patrick Brown from the Ottawa Senators as well have both joined the team and played in the first game on Wednesday. So, yeah, keep an eye on that because it, it's a great chance to watch prospects and get a good preview of what's to come. But, boy, I got to tell you, it's been great to see that young group of U.S. players really make an impact in this tournament. So we'll talk a little bit more about Lane Hudson in just a little bit. All right, now I want to move on to the USHL's Clark Cup final. And, boy, I got to tell you, it has been an incredible series so far. Best of five, you've got the regular season champion, the Fargo Force, and you've got the uh, you've got the Youngstown Phantoms, which finished second in the Eastern Conference. And so the series started in Fargo, and through two games, you've got the Fargo Force falling behind two nothing in the series. Stunning result. An overtime win in game two was the difference. And now Youngstown will have two games at home, two opportunities to win on home ice. If Fargo is able to get it, they will get the series back to Fargo midweek next week. And we will have to crown a champion that way. But I'll tell you what, this Youngstown team, they have looked outstanding. First year coach Ryan Ward has done a tremendous job. They made a lot of moves to make sure that this roster was shored up. They did a lot of their damage during the offseason, you know, bringing in Andrew Strathman, who's a good young defenseman, draft eligible, highly offensive and, and mobile. You know, they got the commitment from William Whitelaw, who's another draft eligible prospect, one of the highest ranked outside of the NTDP in the USHL. He's had a tremendous postseason. They acquired Andon Serbone, who uh, has just had a sensational playoffs and certainly a great regular season. Got him from Omaha earlier in the year. But if we're looking at Youngstown and we're saying, what is making this team so good right now? It's their goaltending. Jacob Fowler has been outstanding. And Fowler is one of the top-rated prospects for the NHL draft. And Fowler has made save after save after save. And he has really frustrated Fargo Force. He's held them to one goal in each of the games so far. That is a very difficult thing to do because of the number of weapons that they have on that roster. And, and that has been... The difference. And so to watch Jacob Fowler grow into this tremendous goaltender over these last two years in the USHL, it's a great story of development. It's a great story of progression. And it's going to be an interesting draft story to see exactly where Jacob Fowler goes. He has been a huge difference maker. And if you win the Clark Cup, if you are the goaltender that wins the Clark Cup and you are a first year draft eligible player as Jacob Fowler is, it's going to be really hard to leave you on the board for too long. 
But this is a very interesting year for goalies. There are going to be a lot of goalies picked, and they're probably all going to go on day two. I have a hard time seeing any goalies go in the first round. Not impossible, but I just don't have a great feel that we'll see any of those goalies go in the first round. But I think there could be a run on goalies in the second round. The question I have is, will Jacob Fowler be one of them? We've talked about him a fair amount on this podcast because we've gotten questions about him before. But I'll tell you what, this this Jacob Fowler and and certainly guys like William Whitelaw, Andrew Strathman, you know, they're they're all seeing their stock raise because they're playing their best hockey at the most important time of the season. And you know, if you're watching our podcast on YouTube or on 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 Flow Hockey, you're seeing some of the highlights right now. I mean, the skill level of the the Green Bay Gamblers, or sorry, the Youngstown Phantoms, the Green Bay Gamblers was a skilled team too, but the skill level of the Youngstown Phantoms has been truly uh, incredible to watch here in this in this postseason. And then you've got that backed up by such tremendous goaltending. So again, you know, will Fowler go in that second, third, fourth round range? And if he does go in that range, that third and fourth round range, I think you're getting really good value in a goalie that's now proven it. He's headed to Boston College next year. He's part of that incredible recruiting class that will be going into Greg Brown's uh, program next season. And it'll be, you know, he should have an opportunity to play a lot early on next year. And that will only help his draft stock even more. So this 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 has been a tremendous final. I think you'll also have to check it out. You know, Friday night in Youngstown, it's going to be rocking. This is an opportunity that that has not met this team very much. You know, they have not been here. Actually, the last time Youngstown was playing for the Clark Cup, They ran into a very good Fargo Force team that beat them in four games. And now they have this opportunity in front of them. Before we move on, I do want to talk a little bit about Fargo, too, because this is the regular season champion. They've got first-year head coach Nick Oliver, who was the number one uh, or was the USHL coach of the year. There's a great feature from our Ryan Sykes up on Flow Hockey right now that you can read about him. Uh, But, you know, first-year head coach, he's a former Fargo Force player. Um, this is a, a really great opportunity for them to try and find a way back in this series. And it's going to be difficult because, uh, as I mentioned, I think Youngstown has played them tough. They've defended well. They've gotten the goaltending. But there are so many good players on this Fargo Force roster. Cole Knubel, Brett Link, um, you know, the, the Matej Marinov, who's a good goaltender. And, you know, didn't he didn't play game one, but he did play game two. Gave him an opportunity to win that one. They end up losing an OT. I mean, there are just so many good players in that group that, you know, there's a chance that they come back here. So uh, Friday and Saturday will be the games. uh, Those will be the nights that you can catch games three and four if necessary. And then the series will shift back. And, of course, you can see that on flowhockey.tv. Do not miss a second of the action. Make sure you're subscribed. And then you can go back and watch all the archives as well. A great USHL season with a lot of exciting things happening. It's hard to believe we're down to potentially the last weekend of the season. But if the Youngstown Phantoms do find a way to pull this off, it'll be their first Clark Cup in franchise history. This is a team that started out in the North American Hockey League, moved to the USHL several years ago, and has been a program that has you know put some really good players onto the next level, including Kyle Connor who is a you know multi-time 40-goal scorer in the NHL. So if the Phantoms are finally able to do it, to think two years ago they were dead last in the league, it's amazing how things can turn around in junior hockey. 
they are on the brink of it right there. So do not miss the Clark Cup. It is on Flow Hockey, and you will absolutely want to catch that. All right. Before we move on to our Q&A section, I just wanted to very quickly mention you can also watch the ECHL's Kelly Cup playoffs. That has reached the conference final stage. You've got the uh, Newfoundland Growlers against the Florida Everblades in a rematch of last year's Eastern Conference final. And out West, you have the regular season champion, Idaho Steelheads, and last year's runner-up, Toledo Walleye. That is going to be a phenomenal series with so much of the league's best talent right there in both those two series. It is going to be something that, uh, you know, should I, I think we'll see deep series. I don't think that either of these are going to end in a sweep. The Toledo Walleye have yet to lose in the postseason. They're a perfect eight for eight so far, halfway to the Kelly Cup, which they are so desperately chasing. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that this is going to be a very entertaining postseason. You will not want to miss it. So make sure you check that out. Also, a lot of good prospects, especially with Toledo. The The Detroit Red Wings have sent them uh, Emil Vero, who is a, a top defense prospect, Donovan Sabrango, Sebastian Kosa has been there all year. Kirill Tutayev has been really good as well. So uh, definitely check that out. Lots of star-studded uh, uh, series in the ECHL in the conference final stage. And you can also read about all of that at flowhockey.tv. So don't miss that. Also, before our q and I wanted to briefly touch on something because I know we have a lot of listeners that are Arizona Coyotes fans. And I know that you know people have always kicked them when they are down. And I just want to say, if you are not familiar with the news, last night the city of Tempe had a, had a referendum and a vote. And it was basically to approve or not approve a, an arena plan for the Arizona Coyotes. And this felt like a last-ditch effort. It was resounding, resoundingly defeated in the referendum. There will not be a new entertainment district in Tempe, which would have been built over a landfill. Um, that is now not happening. And it feels like this could be the beginning of the end of a long and arduous journey for the Arizona Coyotes. What I want to say is that the narrative about this is something that that I really think we should take a, a longer look at because the narrative surrounding the Arizona Coyotes has been you know, it's a failure, it's constant upheaval and turmoil, and the league has just done everything they possibly can to keep it afloat. While that is true, that the league has done everything to keep it afloat, there's a reason for that. It's not, you know, the biggest problem that Arizona Coyotes have faced is instability. And it's been that way for a long time. And because of that, we've never really been able to fully assess how this is supposed to work. Now, there's a lot of talk about relocation, but I think that the, the league and the team will still make every effort to try to stay in Arizona. And there's a lot of evidence that suggests that what they have done has worked. It's an arena problem. It's not necessarily a fan support problem. And while they have not had a lot of competitive teams in recent years, which also makes it difficult, difficult to assess, uh, assess if it'll be successful, Hockey has grown exponentially in Arizona. You think Arizona State University has a Division I men's hockey team now. That would not have happened, I don't think, without the continued influx of hockey talent from the state of Arizona and also the support of a community that has been building up there as well. You also don't have to look much further than one of the best American players in the NHL right now, Austin Matthews, inspired to play hockey by the Arizona Coyotes. And he's not the only Arizona-born player that that happened for. You got Matthew Nyes, also on the 
the Toronto Maple Leafs. You're going to have more players that were playing hockey because of the Arizona Coyotes and the Phoenix Coyotes before that. And so I always bristle when I say, when people say it was a failure, it was always going to be a failure. And it's, you know, I just don't think it's fair to the people that care about that team and the people that have built a hockey community there, which is both the NHL franchise and many individuals that just simply love the sport and created a community. And so there's a lot of things that they should be cheering about and feel successful about. I hope that they find a way, but if they don't, it means a new market, likely in the United States, could be Salt Lake City, could be Houston. You know, there's always been talk of Kansas City. Um, there's been talk of Atlanta coming back as well. There's a lot of that going around. But I think it's very important to remember that you're a, if you're a fan of a team, if you have a favorite hockey team, you have likely never been met, unless you're a New York Islanders fan and Predators fan, even the St. Louis Blues way back in the day. excuse me, you've never been met with the threat of your team just leaving. Um, And that is for something, you know, know, if you're a team, a fan of a legacy team, if you're a fan of a Canadian franchise that, you know, is, is one of the legacy franchises of this league, you've never had to feel that. So think about how much you have to love your team to constantly put up with people kicking you while you're down, the team constantly being under the threat of being moved, the fact that, you know, Arizona Coyotes fans, this is my my digital hug to you because I think that you guys have put up with way more than you have deserved to put up with. And you continue to do it. You continue to support your team. You continue to make hockey viable in Arizona. It's very unfortunate what has happened and how things have continued to unravel. And we hope that there's a, a an amicable resolution on the horizon. But I just want to say, Arizona Coyotes fans, we see you. We feel for you. And certainly, if this is the way it's all going down, it sucks. No way, no other way to put it, no other way to dress it up. And we we just wish you all the best and hope that this works out in the best possible way for you. All right. Thank you for allowing me a quick little soapbox on the Arizona Coyotes because I do think they hold a very important place in American hockey history, whether you want to believe it or not. But we move on to our question and answer portion. And we're going to run through these fairly quickly because we've got Quite a few, including three right off the bat that I, I that are from uh, about Lane Hudson, who I mentioned that we would talk about. We also have got some really good draft questions, uh, including what I'm really excited to answer that's multi-sport related that we don't often do here, but I think this is a great time to talk about it. But let's start with Lane Hudson. And our first question comes from my good pal, Mark Dumont from Montreal Hockey Now. And, and Mark asks, first time, long time, my question is, Lane Hudson? I'll hang up and listen. Yes, Lane Hudson. Uh, <laughs> Lane Hudson, if, if you hadn't been paying attention, is having a tremendous 2022-23 season. It started with Boston University, his incredible year, highest scoring freshman in decades, um, and really a uh, freshman defenseman, rather. And uh, Hobie Baker finalist, the guy that I thought would, should have been in the top three based on the season that he had, um, you know, tremendous player, top to bottom. I mean, just just tremendous. Uh, and, and a Frozen Four appearance in his freshman season as well. Now he's playing at the Men's World Championship, and Team USA has given him a lot of responsibility. They have given him, uh, you know, 
basically top four minutes. He now is on the number one power play, uh, running it from the top of the point. Coach David Quinn, who is a BU guy, so you know I'm sure it wasn't a stretch for him to trust Lane Hudson, but he's allowed Lane Hudson to be who he is, which is a dynamic talent. He has four points, averaging over 16 minutes a game, and he hasn't looked out of place among NHL players. Yes, he's small. Yes, he's light. He's dynamic. And I've said it many times. I've never really seen a player like him. I just haven't. Um, Especially, you know, not a defenseman. He he reminds me more of Johnny Goudreau, like, you know, but if Johnny Goudreau played defense, you know, like that's, and it's not just because he's smaller. It's just the hands, the hand skills are so elite. I can't even begin to express it. If you haven't seen it yet, go find the goal that he scored against uh, uh, team uh, Austria today. As I record this, I'm recording this on Wednesday, scored a remarkable goal. There were four defenders around him. He goes through, gets through him, and then pokes the puck through the goalie's legs. I mean, just a remarkable talent. He's got such tremendous presence on the puck. And so to answer your question, Lane Hudson, I think Lane Hudson, despite all of the doubts about him, is going to make it to the NHL. He's going to be an impact player in the NHL. And he, I don't think he's going to revolutionize the position, but he is going to change the way we think about defensemen. He's going to change the way we think about small defensemen as well. I think he's a bit of a unicorn. I don't think there are very many players like him. But I, I've been watching hockey for a while, you know, and I just can't really tell you a defenseman that I've ever seen that plays like Lane Hudson, which brings us to our next question. And this comes from Dude. Hey, dude. Timeline on Hudson to make the NHL is 24-25 season, or does he need a year or two in the AHL? It's a difficult question to answer because there is so much more physical development ahead of Lane Hudson. This We've talked about the size. He has grown a little bit. Um, I know that there's he's been listed at 5'10". I'm not 100% positive that I would lean on that actual measurement at this point. But what what I would say about Lane Hudson is, you know, in terms of his pro projection, I still think that we there's more to be learned. Um, I don't think there's any sense in rushing him to the NHL. Uh, I do think that his hockey sense, his puck skills, his skating ability, it's all there. It's all there. What I would like to see a little bit more is, is some more physical maturation, which I think only comes with time. Um, you know, I don't think that he's done growing. Uh, you know, he's still very, uh, I think he's a bit of a late bloomer in that regard. Um, we've talked a lot about, you know, the fact that he has brothers and, and his, his, his younger brother is very similar in stature. His older brother is 5'11". Um, you know, and he's got a, an even younger brother yet that's that's uh, still on the smaller side, too. So, you know, it is what it is. Size is always going to be there. But I think that the dynamic elements are what makes Lane Hudson special and why I think he's got a real opportunity to be, um, you know, an everyday NHLer, even though there isn't much precedent for the kind that he plays. There is a chance. I, I'd say like next year, he'll probably, you know, he'll, he's going to BU next season. He's going to return to BU. He's going to have an opportunity to have a big season. They're going to have a great team. Macklin Celebrini is going to be there. Tom Vlander is going to be there. They're going to have a lot of good players around him, um, which will help. And I think, you know, he'll com- contend for the Hobie Baker next year. I have a feeling that that could be enough of proof to everybody that says, all right, it's time to sign with Montreal. Whether that means he'll spend time in Laval or go straight to the NHL, I think that's going to be determined later. It's very difficult to project him out because of the fact that there is so much physical development left ahead of him. So that it's a great question, but it's one that still is going to take time to answer. And then our last one comes from Knievel, 
And Knievel asks, do you feel like Lane Hudson has the tools to be dominant at the NHL level? And dominant is such a difficult, you know, that, that is a very, it's not a specific term, but it is a, it, it is an, it's a big word, right? Like dominant. What does dominant mean? Does it mean that he'll be a 40 to 50 to 60 to 70 point defenseman? Does it mean he's a hundred point defenseman like Eric Carlson was this year? I think it's very difficult to project that. Um, there is just, there's no player I feel like that we can adequately compare to Lane Hudson. And that's that's why it's hard to project him out. I don't think that his, I think his hands are elite for one. His hockey sense is extremely high end. His skating ability is quite good. His edge work is very good. His, his decision-making, his confidence, all those things are good. But the physical elements are still there. The fact that he's not the biggest guy, the fact that, you know, is this the kind of guy you're going to play 25 minutes a game? Probably not. He's probably going to be an 18, 17 to 19, you know, minute defenseman in the NHL. Um, if he is able to prove that all of his skill and everything else, and we're getting toward more towards a positionless kind of hockey scenario, because he is almost like having a, a fourth forward on the ice. You know, we'll have to see. I think as long as people let Lane Hudson be Lane Hudson, he's going to find a way. He's too special a player. I, I I won't say that he's going to be a dominant player. I think he will be a unique, special player in the NHL. I do think he'll be an everyday player, and I do think he's going to find a way to make a significant impact on an NHL team, probably the Montreal Canadiens. I still think, you know, I I listed him as a first-round draft pick last year. I don't have to deal with all of the risk that comes with a player his size like an NHL team does. So it's, you know, it's a bit unfair to characterize me putting him first versus an NHL team putting him first. It's a multi-million dollar decision for them. It's a name on a list for me. And, you know, I, I would say that to me, he checks so many boxes except for height. And that's basically it. He is competitive. He is, you know, he, he he's got a good defensive stick. He tries to do his best in the, his own zone. He retrieves pucks well. He moves pucks out. And then he's got that ability, that that dynamic offensive ability that just so few defensemen possess. Special player. I can't wait to watch him and can't wait to watch his career. He is one of my favorite players to watch and one of my favorite players that I've seen you know, at any point. All right, moving on. And we will run through these a little bit quicker. But this one I wanted to spend just a little bit of time on because I think it's really interesting. So the NBA draft lottery was held recently, and I got this question from Jonathan who asked this because this was a big topic of conversation on NHL draft lottery day or NBA draft lottery day. And Jonathan asked, do you agree with Woj ESPN, Adrian Wojnarowski, that Victor Wembayana, I, I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing that, uh, is the best draft prospect ever, regardless of sport? My mind immediately went to McDavid. Thoughts? So, so Adrian Wojnarowski was on was on TV and said that you know we don't just think that that Wembanyama is a a you know great NBA prospect. He may be the the highest rated prospect in the history of team sports. Big statement. Uh, you know, frame of reference. It's interesting because you know I my mind immediately went to well, what about LeBron? We were calling LeBron the chosen one before he was even like he was a junior in high school when that SI 
uh, cover, that famous SI cover written by the late Grant Wall, what came out. Um, and then also we think in hockey terms as well. Now, one thing I will say to Jonathan, McDavid was highly touted and considered, you know, potential generational talent. As as hyped up as Connor McDavid was, Sidney Crosby was hyped up way more. And Crosby came after the lockout, and that, you know, that he had that that goofy draft lottery situation that a, a lot of people were like, what is going on? He ends up with the Pittsburgh Penguins, changes the future of a franchise, changes the future, and really carried the league on his shoulders for a number of years. I think that that, to me, is significant. Um, in the NBA, I think that's going to be harder to do because of, you know, we think about having a LeBron as a number one um, and different players like that over the years. But, you know, I also think to baseball, Bryce Harper is another one where it was like, is he going to change baseball? And I think, you know, in some ways he has, and in other ways, you know, he's been just an exceptional talent. You know, Mike Trout, we didn't know in his draft year that he was going to be one of the best players in the history. Shohei Otani was a different situation because he came over from Japan. Um, you know, so it wasn't a draft situation. But I mean, you think about the hype of Otani before he actually did play an MLB game. So it's a big statement. I think it's a little bit much. I think it. I think it, we should also put the qualifier in North American team sports because other places don't have drafts. They sign kids. Uh, you know, Messi. I think was signed when he was like thirteen or whatever, or twelve, or you know, something like that. You know, so there's there's a lot of that too. Um, but I think in terms of hockey, Crosby is very difficult to uh, to compare. And then I, you know, we're using that frame of reference. If we just say like in the last twenty five years or the last twenty years. Um, I think we go back even further and we can say Eric Lindros was, was such a, was one of the most hyped up and, and, you know, people were saying he was going to be better than Gretzky. Um, so there's so many examples. It's hard to to fathom that a player like Victor could be that good, but you know, I, I don't spend all my time scouting NBA prospects, so I don't know, but that's such a great point. Like when you hear that, it's just like, Whoa. And it, and I had a conversation with a friend yesterday said, can we like go back and, and actually have this conversation? And, you know, we were talking about different, you know, the NFL, it just, it's been so rare that a, a number one prospect is that hyped up. Um, you know, I think Peyton Manning probably was, you know, one of the the most hyped up that we could go there. Baseball, you know, the, the first guy that came to mind immediately was Bryce Harper. Um, and then you've got, you know, hockey, I think Crosby was even a bigger hype situation than McDavid. And now we've got Bedard. Um, it's, I mean, we're living in a, a tremendous time for, for professional athletics because of the young people that are coming through. They're better prepared. They're more talented. They're more skilled. They're freaks of nature. Um, it's, it's incredible to watch. So what a time to be a fan of sports. All right. Our next question comes from Brian. We go back to the NHL draft with this one. He asks, who do you see as being the best fit for the Red Wings at number nine? Well, this will be interesting because I think the Red Wings have um, a number of needs. Uh, you know, certainly they've got a lot of talent in their in their system. They've got you know they've got to feel great about Simon Edvinson and and Mort Sider, who's already there. Lucas Raymond is already there. Dylan Larkin, um, you know, so there there's plenty plenty to like about where they're at. at, at you know, Marco Casper, who's on the way as well. Um, plenty to like in their system. At nine, it's going to be really tricky because I think there's going to be a number of different prospects that exist there that could fit the profile of a player. There's also the looming question of is 
is Matvey Mitchkov still available at nine? Does he get past the Capitals at eight? It's hard to fathom that he might, but if he does, I don't think if I were Steve Eisman, I don't think I'd hesitate to take Mitchkov knowing that I've got my young core in place. And now we can add a centerpiece to that in Mitchkov, who's not a center, but you know, he's a centerpiece kind of player with tremendous upside. And then all of a sudden you've got a, you've got a great player. If he's not there, you know, it'll be interesting. Is, is Dalibor Dvorsky there? Is Zach Benson there? Is uh, Ryan Leonard there? You know, they're, they're wings, they're, they're centers, you know, those are the types of players. I think, you know, ideally you'd love to see Mitchkov fall and say, all right, well, we've got, we've got Raymond and Mitchkov on our wings for forever. We've got, you know, Dylan Larkin and, and Marco Casper down the middle. We've got our decor. We've got our goalie of the future and Sebastian Cosa. You know, there's still a long way to go there, but he's the goalie of the future. And you've got a lot to like in that system. So I think that there's really not a lot of wrong that you can do at number nine because you're basically going to have a lot of decisions made for you one through eight. And I, I, I think there's a good clump of players available at nine. That's hard to project. All right. Our next question is also NHL draft related. And I really, really like this question from Daniel, because this is a very uh, interesting topic to discuss. How would you compare Axel Sandin Pelica's draft season and player profile to Adam Boquist's draft season and player profile. Boquist was an eighth overall pick, similar to Sandin Pelica's projection, but so far hasn't been able to quite live up to his draft. Daniel, this is a great question because I think this is an important piece of the conversation about Axel Sandin Pelica, who is one of the top three defensemen for this draft. And it's a question that is being asked in NHL offices, not just about Sandin or not just about Boquist. But other guys, Ty Smith, you know, is he is he is he going to be Quinn Hughes or Adam Boquist? Don't forget, Quinn Hughes and Adam Boquist were talked about a lot, and there were some people that had Boquist over Quinn Hughes. Here's my my initial take: I think Adam Boquist was a little bit more of a dynamic player, dynamic skilled player, but he didn't have the production that Sandine Pelica did this season. I think Sandine Pelica is the smarter of the two players, but. Boquist had such silky skill and he had a lot of plays, you know, the compete level wasn't quite there though. And I think the defensive abilities was also suspect undersized defensemen, which is to say basically under six foot because Sandine Pelica is about five ten, five eleven. They have a lot to prove. And, and you watch the playoffs this year and you say, okay, well look at, you know, look at the decors and there's some big decors in the, in, in there. Not many teams are led by a defenseman of that size. You've got the Rangers, Adam Fox, the, you know, the, you've got Kale McCarr, but you know, Adam Fox is at a genius level thinker of the game. Kale McCarr is an, is a high level thinker, but also exceptionally an, an exceptional skater with tremendous skill. You know, those guys are, are hard to replicate. And I don't think Sandy Pelica is in that conversation. The question about Boquist though, is very interesting because their paths are, similar. They're not exactly the same, but they're similar. And, you know, Boquist played a little bit in the junior level in Sweden, played at the SHL level, and also played in the Allsvenskan, which is a second tier pro. Sandin Pelica played more pro games at the SHL level this year than Boquist did in his draft season and was a higher producer at the junior level than Boquist was in his uh, draft season. On top of that, 
Sanin Pelika was a top defenseman for the Swedish U20 team at the World Junior Championship and had an exceptional uh, U18 season as well with the Swedish national team and a great under-18 world championship. So I think that Sandine Pelika's profile is actually a little bit better than Boquist was. Now, Boquist was drafted by the Chicago Blackhawks. He ended up getting traded. <coughs> excuse me. He ended up getting traded to the Columbus Blue Jackets. And there he, you know, he's kind of been stagnant, I suppose. Um, he's still young. There's still time for him to potentially develop into more, a, a more, uh, a better defenseman uh, and a more productive defenseman as well. But I think NHL teams are going to have this discussion. Axel Sandin Pelika is an exceptional young defenseman, but is he elite? Is he going to be a top tier defenseman? Is he, is he a guy you're going to play more than 18 minutes a game? And I think a lot of teams are trying to figure out if that's true. Sandin Pelika is not a dynamic, skilled player. He's a crafty, smart player. You know, his skating is good. But, you know, I think he defends well, too. Um, I personally think because this draft is so low and light on defensemen, whereas Boquist was in the same draft as, you know, Rasmus Dahlin and, and players of that nature, that, you know, Sandine Pelika's overall valuation for this draft is going to be a little bit different than Boquist was at the same at the same age. Um, I still think Sandine Pelika has a chance to be a top 15 pick. I don't think he'll be the first defenseman taken. And there's a chance he might not even be the second defenseman taken. Because I think a lot of people are looking at Tom Vlander right now and saying, hey, maybe that's the guy. So this question is an interesting one because I think Boquist is going to be one of those guys what you look at in, as, as precedent and you say, yeah, this is we've got to take some time with this. We've got to make sure we're crossing all, all out. I do think now, with the benefit of hindsight, I, you know, I liked Boquist quite a bit in that draft season, but I think I might like Sandine Pelica a bit more this year, um, though I'd say that the the projection and the upside to me may not look as favorable. I think the risk factor with Boquist was high, but the reward factor was also pretty high because of how he had more of a dynamic element than Sandine Pelica does. Really good question. Love those types of things that force you to think a little bit more. All right, our next question comes from Steve, and he says, Chris, thoughts on Adar Suniev would be appreciated. Thanks. Well, Suniev uh, is playing for the Penticton Vs in the BCHL. He's had, I mean, just tremendous production. Um, really like, you know, he's, he's, a, he's, he's a good player. I mean, I think there's, there's a lot there. Um, the BCHL players, they've been a little bit tougher to project out. You know, we look at guys, Brad Nadeau is on his team as well, is going to get a very favorable look uh, potentially as a first rounder. Suniev has the size advantage. Uh, you know, I think the skating's fine. I think his offensive instincts are very good. Um, he's got a nice, uh, nice upside to him. Um, you know, I think he'll be an early day two pick, maybe later in the second, maybe third. You know, I, that's kind of where we're, we're thinking about him. Um, but, you know, offensive profile is off the charts and, uh, you know, largely because the BCHL, it's been a place where, where players his age and, and certainly on a team like Penticton that was so dominant this season, it's harder to, to, to judge. But I think he's got a lot of those projectable tools, especially with the size that he, that he brings to the table um, that, that will speak to a lot of teams. So I think that's going to be really good. Um, and, I, and I like the player. I think he's going to be a good player. 
All right, next comes from Posty, and he asks, 2024 NHL draft prospects on the USU-17 team for the NTDP, uh, excluding Shane Iserman uh, and uh, Zeev Booyam and Lane Hudson. So Booyam is on the under-18 team this year. Uh, Cole Hudson, rather. Uh, Lane Hudson's younger brother, also on there. So, um, But the question is, who is the top D and, and forward out of the rest? It's kind of still up for debate. Um, you know, I think that that's we're still the the top guys have kind of sucked up a lot of the oxygen. Uh, but among the defensemen, you know, I really like Will Scahan. I think he's going to be a player that has a lot of, uh, um, you know, a lot of a lot of upside. He's got the size. He defends well. There's some physicality to him. He's got a decent offensive game. Um, you know, it's not a tremendous skill, but he, he checks a lot of boxes for NHL teams. You know, I've liked Christian Humphreys. I think that's a player that's, that's looked good um, uh, for that group. Um, there's, you know, another, you know, Christian Epperson had a tremendous uh, postseason and, and, and end of season. And that's, that's helpful as well. Um, so I like the, you know, I like that U17 team. I think that we're going to learn a lot more about them. The, the, the growth from the U17 year to the U18 year, sometimes, it's players you don't expect. Sometimes you see guys just, you know, completely change, um, you know, they're both their bodies, the different things. I mean, you look at actually Oliver Moore is a great example of the U18 to the U7 or the U17, to the U18 transition. Cause he put on, I think 20 plus pounds of muscle in the off season. He had that explosive skating ability, but then he was also stronger, harder to knock off pucks better in the middle, even more explosive with the skating ability. So, that's what can happen. And so I think we're going to still see a lot of those guys, but, you know, certainly Iserman and Hudson are among the top guys that everybody's going to be watching Hudson or Iserman rather having a chance to go, you know, as high as probably second in that draft. Maybe he'll even challenge for first overall. So a lot there to like with that group. Next one comes from Nashman or Nashman. Not sure how we're going to produce that one, but I'll say Nashman. Uh, any idea what decision Logan Cooley will make? So as we sit here, Logan Cooley has not decided uh, or has not announced a decision about whether he will sign with the Arizona Coyotes or return for his sophomore season at the University of Minnesota. The longer this drags on, the more nervous you get as an Arizona Coyotes fan. Naturally so. And now you've got all this other bad news happening here. I don't think that Cooley's decision was ultimately completely tied to what was happening with the, the arena decision. I think that he wants to be an NHL player. He wants to go to Arizona. He wants to play for the Coyotes. But I also think that there is a real pull to stay at Minnesota. The other element that you have to consider that we don't have a full understanding of yet is how will the, the NIL deals and the different thing, the different ways that players can make some money while they're still in college impact this decision by Logan Cooley. He's extremely marketable as a top three Hobie Baker finalist this past year. He helped lead this team to a national championship game. They, of course, lost. The fact that they lost the national championship game, maybe he wants another crack at it. They've got a good recruiting class coming in, Oliver Moore, who we just mentioned. Jimmy Snuggerud, who was one of his two line mates at the, at the team last year, still coming back next year. So a chance to continue on there. And I think that Logan Cooley really liked playing at Minnesota. You know, Pittsburgh kid ends up going to the University of Minnesota. doesn't happen very often, but I think he really enjoyed his experience there. And that makes it so it's not an easy decision. I also think Logan Cooley, there's still plenty for him to work on. Um, so the answer is we don't know what his, to answer your question more directly, we don't know ultimately what his decision is going to be. But 
I, I think that it's not a simple decision. I think the longer this stretches on, the more favorable it looks for the University of Minnesota. Um, and I don't think that there's really anything else that would have impacted that decision. The Coyotes are not necessarily all that close to competitiveness either. And now you've got this looming issue with the, you know, are they going to move? Um, that's another thing that could potentially factor in, but I don't think it will ultimately because Logan Cooley will just make the best decision for him um, in the end. But it is something worth monitoring, and he's a player worth talking about. All right. Our last question came via DM, so you won't see it pop up on the screen if you're watching, but we'll talk about it here. And this comes from Dan, and Dan asks, what do you think the AHL-NHL split will be for Wyatt Kaiser next season? So Wyatt Kaiser, University of Minnesota Duluth, very good player. Uh, signed with the Chicago Blackhawks in the, after his season at UMD, got into some NHL games. I think he'll challenge for a spot immediately on the roster. I don't think necessarily that that's going to be the right decision to push him right into that Chicago Blackhawks lineup. The fact that they have Connor Bedard does make things a little more interesting, but I think they will want fewer young players uh, learning on the job than more young players learning on the job. So I do think that we could see more of a, you know, like an 80-20 split in terms of percentage of, of season where he's playing the bulk of the season in the AHL. The Rockford Ice Hogs had a very good team this year. They should have a good team next year. A lot of young guys making their way. Um, we expect guys like Lucas Reichel to already graduate. You know, what's going to happen with Ian Mitchell, um, uh, Alex Velasic. I mean, they've got a lot of defensemen that are young that need to get some reps. Uh, they'll have Seth Jones. They'll probably have Connor Murphy back. So there are going to be some some really good players uh, or some, some players that are going to be helpful to them more immediately than Wyatt Kaiser can be. Um, but if he impresses, has a big offseason, gets a chance to play, you know, uh, and has a good camp, then, you know, make the decision for him, essentially. Um, Dan also asked about Logan Cooley's plans for next year, which we just uh, covered. And then he also asked, should the Chicago White Sox blow up their roster and start over? That's mean. It's cruel. It's uncalled for. And I don't know. Maybe they should. I would, you know, this is. I'm a prospects guy, right? Like, I love prospects. Chicago White Sox, they look like they had all the best prospects. They trade away a ton of guys. Chris Sale, all these guys get get all these prospects. And what happens? Nothing. Same old stuff. And, yes, I'm a Chicago White Sox fan. Have been my entire life. It has been uh, uh, a, a grind the last few years. And the best thing about covering prospects is that my season basically never ends. So I don't get to put myself through the pain of these baseball seasons every day, like I used to when I was in my early twenties and just uh, enjoying my summers a little too much at the ballpark. So uh, yeah, this is uh, it's tough. It's tough out there for a white Sox fan. I hate to end it on a negative note. So let's not, uh, <laughs> if you could please leave a kind rating and review for this podcast, because that really does help get the word out. It helps us move up the charts on podcasts. It helps everybody get, this podcast. And if you like it, if you like prospects, if you're an NHL draft fan and you know other NHL draft fans, tell them about the podcast, Talking Hockey Sense. Tell them to go download it. Tell them to watch it on YouTube. Tell them to watch it on flowhockey.tv or the Flow Sports app. Do whatever you want, but make sure you are telling your friends about this. Leave a kind rating review. Five stars, If I mean, if you're feeling it, unless you really hate the Chicago White Sox, um, in which case, don't give any rating at all because then I don't want, uh, I don't want that hate in my life. So uh, please don't do that. But, but this is a, this has been a, a very loaded episode. We've had a lot to talk about. Got a lot of Lane Hudson in there. Got a lot of Cutter Gauthier and team USA, plenty of NHL draft talk. And we will have so much more of that next week. We will recap the USHL Clark cup final. We will also talk about 
more NHL draft related topics. So much coming up. The NHL scouting combine is on the way, which I will be going to. So we will have plenty more in the coming weeks to discuss as we get ready for the 2023 NHL draft. Make sure you're telling your friends about the podcast. Make sure you're downloading it. Make sure you're following us on YouTube. Subscribe to our YouTube channel as well. We've got tons of highlights and clips from this show. So don't miss any of it. That is going to do it for this week's episode of Talking Hockey Sense. My name is Chris Peters. We'll catch you next time.